You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. All right, good. Hey, my name's Darren Simpson. I'm the student pastor here. I get to hang out with you guys. And here's the fun part. They give me like, you know, they're the student pastor. I'm the student pastor. They're always a little bit scared of what I'm gonna say on stage, right? So they only, they give you a shorter time window. So they're like, okay, you gotta get it all in this time, and if you don't get it all, I'm gonna take all the time I need, just letting you know. All right, hey, um, I'm excited about this week. We've been talking about a lot of different things within our summer mixtape series, uh, and I'm sure out here in the audience, there's probably hundreds of stories when it comes to actual cassette players and cassette tapes, and uh, I don't know if you remember right before the CD players, like the personal, the portable CD players came out, right, you know what I'm talking about? and they had like 16 anti-skip protection on them, and you'd always get mad because your friend would be like, smack, and you're like, stop, in 16 seconds my song's gonna skip, right? But uh, we, I remember growing up, sixth grade, I had a cassette player, and it was a little bit more advanced, right? It had the dual cassettes, right? So it made making a mixtape a little bit easier, but the frustrating part was you had to put the tape in to play it the right way, upside down and backwards. You know what I'm talking about? Because they played the tapes upside down, now, I did all kinds of crazy stuff when it came to mixtapes. I made all kinds of music set lists and playlists. It was a lot of fun, and, and it was actually work. These days, I didn't have to, you know, just get on my phone and type in whatever song I wanted to listen to. It was legitimately, if you wanted something, you had to go to the store to buy it, and if you don't know anything about Christian music, it really was interesting in the 80s. Not quite like it is today, and so mixtapes were interesting. I remember sixth grade, uh, the love of my life, right, because in sixth grade, that's, that happened, that doesn't happen. Um, so in, I remember I wanted to make her a, a summer mixtape, and so I, I went to my cassette player, and I went and I bought my, you know, recordable cassette, and, and I had recorded like three or four songs that I thought she would absolutely love, and then it came down to the final song, which just happened to be Garth Brooks, right, because, you know, you need some, some Garth Brooks in your life, and and it's the thunder rolls, right? And that's, you, you, you feel it in your chest, and the lightning strikes, right? No, um, but this song is like real popular, and so I go to hit record on the one cassette and play on the other, because you know you had to do it at the same time or you'd mess it up. And I had put the tape in the wrong direction, so it was like a mix halfway through, not quite the right song, uh, part of a Garth Brooks song that nobody had ever heard of before, and, and it was the end of my cassette tape, and you guys know how it goes with a mixtape. If you mess it up, it's just messed up. There is no going back and going, I'm gonna redo this, because it doesn't make sense, it doesn't work. So as we start to prepare and talk today, I'm excited about what we've discussed already. You've gone through a couple different opportunities. Week one, we talked about the oldies. Anybody love oldies, right? kind of live in that world, I grew up with that, my dad, but it's the idea for us was that worship gives us an opportunity to look back and proclaim what God has done for us, right? Absolutely. Week number two was love songs and there was this awkward video that came out that I wish I never would have been in. <laughs> oh, it was funny. I was, anyway, love songs, and I don't even know how that was a love song anyway, but whatever. Worship, uh, it has to go beyond our words. We have to live it out, right? There needs to be some passion behind it. We talked about the blues and how sometimes in our lives, uh, we just kind of go through the hills and the valleys. And, and when you get into those valleys, you gotta realize that even in those bad moments, you get to continue to give it to God. You have to continue to worship God. 
in the good and the bad. And then Todd got up, talked to us a little bit about dance, right? You know, I was hoping he would come out in one of those jumpsuits with some glasses and just kind of, he didn't do that. But I was hoping it would happen. But the idea that worship creates freedom, it gives us an opportunity to express ourselves, to do things a little bit different. And so real quick, I wanted to do something a little bit different with us, uh, just because. Any, any of my high schoolers that went to CIY in here? Like 10 of you, all right. They're, too, they're still asleep, they haven't woken up yet. It's summertime. This is what I want everybody to do. I want everybody to stand up real quick. If you can, if you have the margin to, stand up with us. And, and while we were at CIY, um, we had a, a leader of a song, of the band, his name was Aaron Pelsu, and, and he taught us a song, and, and no worries, I just want us to get into this motion. Uh, he, he told us a song, and he wanted us to get a little swampy. Everybody say swampy. Yeah, that's not a word we normally use. It's all good. But what you have to do, and don't worry, this is not dancing in church, because you're not moving your feet, right? So spread your legs out a little bit, right? And then all you gotta do is kinda move and sway a little, right? Right, he had a little southern drawl to him, so you gotta get that little deeper voice and get that southern drawl to you. But you get, get a little movement in there, get a little movement in there, come on, maybe you need to add a little bit of shoulder movements, right? Kinda, are we awake now, are we awake? Give your neighbor a high five and say good morning, good morning. <laughs> good, okay. You are with us, perfect. Leave it to the student pastor to make awkward moments. So here's the thing. Over the last couple of weeks, uh, our student team has been gone with high school students and with junior high students. Our high school, we went to uh, this awesome place called Cedarville, Ohio, to Cedarville University, and we went to a Christian Youth Conference. And, and something that you notice at the beginning of the week uh, maybe you don't know all of the songs or maybe you're a little bit more reserved, right? But by the end of the week, all of a sudden, arms are lifted, hearts are completely pouring out and there's this moment and opportunity where God uses the context of worship to completely change the life of a student. Same thing happens whenever we go to Summer in the Sun with our junior high students. I gave a shout out at high school. Any junior high students in here? Good morning. We went to Summer in the Sun, they're probably like, oh, I'm so tiring, I'm dead, but that's okay. We go to Summer in the Sun, the same experience happens. In both places, one of the number one things that unifies them is that corporate worship, is that they get out of their comfort zones, they get out of their shells, and they do some really weird and interesting things. We dance to dance music, and we, we lift our hands, and we sing to God, and we change the way we act, and we change the way we function, and in that worship, it moves us. But what I've learned as far as adults go, and I wish this weren't so, is that we don't really have many of those moments anymore where we get away for a week and you can simply focus on your worship and the relationship that you have with God. Oftentimes we don't get that anymore. And because of that, we struggle maybe to make some connections. And this week as we talk about our series, it's simply called Turn It Up. We want you guys to, to, to take your, your worship, it simply is this, is that if your relationship with God is growing, then your worship should be too. And I wanna ask the question, that how many of you have actually been challenged in the way you worship over the course of the last few years? That when we come to church, it's not just about an opportunity to worship, but it's, it's, it's a chance for you to declare your praises and your love and your glory 
to God. So I really have one question. There's only one question for you to write down or to focus on. How's your worship? How is your worship? How do you feel about it? What do you think about your worship? Is it something that you think about or maybe this is just the first time that you've had a good gentle reminder that says, hey, you should really process how you worship and what you do in your worship. And I, I wish, and maybe this is a, a, an endeavor that somebody could take on if you're an entrepreneur, creating those moments for adults to get away and to completely let go and surrender their lives to Christ. See, worship is simply this. It's an outward expression of your eternal understanding. It's the outward expression of your eternal understanding. It means understanding and knowing what's happened, and I kinda looked at it from three different perspectives. One is that I am who I am because of what God did for me, and I know that a lot of us focus on the fact that Jesus is the redemptive story to our relationship with God, but realistically, that story starts before, well, not before Jesus, but that starts before we see Jesus enter the picture if you go back to Genesis chapter three, you find the redemption story starts there. Genesis chapter one, you see all of a sudden that uh, God creates everything. Chapter two, you get a little bit more of a hyper focus with Adam and Eve and that creation story, which I have another story about in a second. And then all of a sudden, Genesis chapter three, you find that man has fallen, has chosen to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and, and when I grew up, I was taught that God banished Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden because they had sinned. But scripture tells me a little bit different story. See, that might be a concept, but the realistic portion is this. In Genesis chapter three, verse 22 and 23, it says, then the Lord God said, look, the human beings have become like us, knowing both good and evil. Pay attention to this. What if they reach out and take fruit from the tree of life and eat it? Then they will live forever. Now it says so, because of that. Because God did not want us to live in our eternal frustration forever. Under the weight of our sin, God started the story here simply with the reason that we got kicked out of the garden is so that God could fix things in the end. The redemption story doesn't start with Jesus, it starts in Genesis. And our worship, how's your worship? It's an expression of our eternal understanding, that I am who I am because of what God did. I am who I am because of what Jesus did as well. John 15, 15, we find that if you look at, at chapter 15, you'll find that there's all kinds of things that are happening. You know, we're talking about I am uh, the, the true vine and my father's the gardener. There's a lot of stuff that's happening in, in John chapter 15. But Jesus simply says, I have told you everything the father told me. It means that God made his presence known to us and gave us the perspective that we needed to focus on. And as that focus continued, he taught us what we needed to know, what we needed to understand. And sometimes we get lost in, well, God, that's not fair. I don't know everything. You're not God and neither am I. And we continue to worship God through the good and the bad, but I am who I am because of what Jesus did. And I'm also who I am because of what the Holy Spirit continues to do through me. See, Jesus paved the way and he reached the 12 around him and he reached the tens of thousands he could with his messages with the Holy Spirit. As even Jesus said, I have to go, but there's one who's coming that is greater than I. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us and our worship is a connection 
of the God who lives inside of us and our souls and who we are to who God has called us to be. I am who I am because of what the Holy Spirit continues to do. Psalm 96, it's the whole whole thing, I wanna read it out. I wish our hearts could be like this. And full understanding, Psalm 96 says, sing a new song to the Lord. Let the whole earth sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord, praise his name. Each day proclaim the good news that he saves. Publish his glorious deeds among the nations. Tell everyone about the amazing things that he does. Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. The gods of their other nations are mere idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty surround him. Strength and beauty fill his sanctuary. O nations of the world, recognize the Lord. Recognize that the Lord is glorious and strong. Verse eight says, give to the Lord the glory he deserves. Bring your offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in all of his holy splendor. Let all the earth tremble before him. Tell all the nations the Lord reigns. The world stands firm and cannot be shaken. He will judge all people fairly. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Let the sea and everything in it shout his praise. Let the fields and their crops burst out with joy. Let the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he is coming. He is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with justice and the nations with truth. Verse eight says, give the Lord the glory that he deserves. And that's what worship truly is. It's my eternal understanding motivates me to worship, to give back, And the thing that I started to learn as I realized this is that my worship, really if we were about to think about it, my worship is the only thing that I can give God that he doesn't already have. My worship is the only thing that I can truly give God that he doesn't already have. And he longs for it. We should give him what he deserves because of the perspective we have because of our eternal understanding worship should be a natural outcry to him if we talk about a couple of different things it really comes down to a few different stories um my wife called me the other day and 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 we had this very interesting phone conversation i'm sitting at kentucky christian university hanging out with junior high students for summer in the sun and she calls me and she goes guess what i just found out and i was like what she says Men and women have the same amount of ribs. I was like, uh-oh, uh, uh, they, they do? I'm 34 years old, and when I was growing up, the Bible stories that I, were taught, that I was taught is that, that God, uh, Adam didn't find a suitable helper, right? So God put Adam to sleep, took a rib bone, and made Eve, right? So in my natural understanding, I've always thought that men just have one less. And I started researching it on my phone after we got off the phone and I started to realize that we all have the same amount of ribs. And I'm in context, I'm, I'm sitting right out front of where they're, the, uh, they serve the food and there's lots of people around me, student pastors from other churches, other students from, from all around the country and I just jump up out of my chair and start screaming, we all have the same amount of ribs. Because my perspective had been warped by what somebody had taught me many, many years ago. And realistically, maybe somebody in the room, if all you gain from today is that we have the same amount of ribs, you, you're winning. 
right? Because maybe you've been taught something different too. But I learned very quickly that uh, God reveals to us, himself to us in the most awkward and interesting ways, right? He does. And that outward expression of worship we have, it should continue to grow. It should continue to grow. As I grow, my worship will grow too. And in those moments, as I'm jumping up with my arms going, we all have the same amount of ribs. And everybody around me is going, that dude is a psychopath. It makes sense that my outcry was a natural expression of what God was showing me in my life. It looks even more so like this. Jesus, in John chapter four, Jesus has a conversation with a woman that starts with this. A little bit of water. See, he was on the road, he was headed to Galilee, um, and instead of going around like what many Jews did because they didn't like Samaritans, Jesus just takes the disciples, you know, as their rabbi, they're just following him, he takes them right through Samaria. And he stops at a village called Sychar, and this is a story that many of you have heard before, and I really wish I had time to, uh, to develop this. This is one of those stories that I can just briefly mention. Growing up, I was taught that the woman at the well was an adulterous woman, and my research as of the last couple of months has shown me that maybe her life perspective was a little bit different and that that wasn't the case. But I don't have time for that. If you wanna come find me, we can talk about it. Let's do so. But all of a sudden, Jesus breaks out into conversation and he just says, can I have a drink of water? I really, I'm really thirsty. He's, he's tired. John tells us that it's noon. It's the afternoon and Jesus is tired. He's been walking in the sun. The disciples have gone to get food in town and a conversation breaks out between this Samaritan woman and, and they go back and forth about this idea of what water is. And Jesus tells her, I have living water. And she goes, I don't understand, but give me that, I want that. And as they continue to talk, all of a sudden it transitions into a conversation of worship. And that conversation of worship looks like this. In John chapter four, verses 19 to 24, it says, uh, she responds. She says, sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet because Jesus had just told her about the five husbands and the one that she's currently living with is, is not her husband. And again, I can't get into it and I really want to. Jesus said, you must be a prophet, so tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim that it's here on Mount Gerizim where the ancestors, where our ancestors worshiped? And Jesus replied in a baffling response. Something that should allow us to understand what it is to turn it up a notch as far as worship goes. He says in verse 21, Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time has come when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on the mountains or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about your, uh, the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. And he says this, but the time is coming Indeed, it is here now, now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The time is coming and it is here now. It means we don't have to wait for it anymore. She didn't have to wait for it anymore. It was no longer about who was rightfully worshiping the right way. It's no longer about us in the church and saying this is how we should worship or this is what we should do. It's time to turn it up a notch. Help people realize in our community that we serve a God that is far bigger and far greater than we could ever be. And in those moments, we realize that God, who gives us the spirit inside, longs 
for our worship. And he challenges us to turn it up a little bit more. To turn it up a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And every week you continue to grow as you learn as you're changed, as you're motivated, as you're moved, because your eternal understanding will drastically shape the way that you worship. So I thought maybe this week I could walk you through a moment that our high schoolers walked through and maybe give us a little bit more of an understanding right before we enter into our communion and offering time. It's called a Selah moment. You look in the Psalms, it's used over 70 times, and basically what the philosophers have tried to understand is it's a moment of of, uh, pause in a psalm. And so this is what I wanna do with us. I want you to take everything that you're holding onto or working with, put it under your seat or put it down, put it beside you. I want your hands to be free so that you can use those, and we're gonna walk through an opportunity for us. We're gonna do a Selah moment for us. We're gonna break it down this way. So here's what it is. Selah, if we break it down, the high schoolers know that it was simply to uh, stop. That's what the S stands for. The E stood for this idea of uh, complete and, and uh, full breath. So exhale. We want you guys to take a moment to breathe, and we'll do this here in just a second together. The L in Selah is to lean in. And prepare your hearts for what God has coming for you. The A is for ask. As we continue to seek out what God wants, the will that he has for our lives. And then H is for hear. And when we do that, in the quietness of the room, I'll read a scripture over us to kind of set up and prepare us for our communion. So this is what I want us to do. If worship truly does affect us, then it would affect our posture too. So I want us to stop. And with me, I want you to take a couple of deep breaths. Relax. The Lord our God is good. Take another deep breath. I want you to lean in. Maybe for you that just means sit up a little bit. Uh, For some of you in this room, this might be a little bit weird. Don't worry, this is not Colt's thing. I just want you to maybe lift up your palms out of reverence for him. Take a couple more deep breaths. I want you to ask God, what is it in this moment that he's trying to reveal to you, that he's trying to teach you, that he wants for your life? And then I want you to hear these words. Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it, in remembrance of me. Around the room, we've got tables with communion on them. It's symbolism. It's an understanding of that perspective. 
It will set us up to say, you know what, God, I, I know that what you've done and what you're continuing to do, it matters. And I'm all in. God, I, I give over my, my frustrations, my cares, my desires. God, I give, I give my sins to you. And thank you for the sacrifice that you made. And so here in just a moment, I'm gonna pray for us. And then in, in that moment, I want you to stand up at your own leisure and to go to one of the tables to take communion. And then there's a little black buckets on there where you can freely give your offering. I'm gonna pray for us. God, I thank you for the men and women in this room that no matter what's going on, no matter what's happening in their life, they could simply lift their eyes, lift their gaze and their thoughts and their attitudes and their hearts and their posture to you. And as we try to figure out what it's gonna take in our lives to take our worship to the next level, God, I pray that you help us to see and know that you are good that your promises still stand and that your faithfulness is great. And God, we live out your calling in our lives. Help us to remember the sacrifice that, that you made and continue to allow us to see what we need to continue to grow and to turn it up in our lives. We love you. It's in your name we pray, amen.